listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, he is in your power, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted lonesome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took potsherd, which with which to scrape himself, and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Thomas, for that reading. I think Job might have sinned against his wife there at the end, but I'm just going to, we'll let that, we'll let that stand for now. Uh, so good morning, everybody. Um, it is, let's see, it's Earth Day Sunday, uh, which yesterday was Earth Day, um, and we went to the canal cleanup, which was a lot of fun. We posted some pictures. We've got actually a few pictures to show you here. Um, it was a real blast. We were picking up trash in the rain. Um, I got this nifty t-shirt there. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and I would just say props to uh, our church, because a lot of folks came out. I'd say a good, a good chunk of the volunteers uh, were from our church, uh, and it was a great time. Um, stewarding the earth and uh, making our village a little bit more beautiful. Um, if you missed this, no worries. Uh, I'm sure we'll be doing it again next year. Uh, so mark your calendars, Earth Day, sometime in April. Uh, we'll come out, we'll be part of this uh, with the village. So uh, we started a, a new series last Sunday on the book of Job. This is going to wrap up our journey through Old Testament wisdom. And I got to say, uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, you're going to want to go on our website or on YouTube to uh, catch what you missed. We laid a lot of groundwork for the book of Job. Uh, we talked about what kind of book this is. Um, is Job historical? Is it, is it recording events as they actually occurred? Or is it more of an allegory? Um, we had a fantastic discussion after church and sermon talk back as well. So if you weren't here, uh, definitely go online and uh, check out the teaching. But um, for those of you who were here last Sunday, I promised you Satan, right? Um, we're going to talk about Satan uh, in the book of Job. I do have to confess, though, I'm a little disappointed because uh, we don't have time to talk about Job's wife today, which is a bummer. Um, Job's wife 
gets a bad rap, like a lot of women uh, in the Old Testament, I think, uh, which, is, which is a little cringe. Um, but Job's wife is not a major player in the book of Job. She gets this one line in this one scene where she tells her husband to curse God and die, and then we don't hear from her again in the rest of the book. Um, but I did want to let you know, uh, to make up for this oversight, you're going to be getting a bonus sermon this week. Um, our church newsletter, the first forward, gets emailed out every Wednesday. And we always include some kind of discipleship resource there, whether it's an article or something to watch or listen to, to take you a little bit deeper in your faith. And um, for this week, we're going to be including a sermon about Job's wife. Uh, It's not a sermon from me. Uh, This one was preached by a good friend of mine named Debbie, who's a PhD student out in California. She preached a killer sermon on Job's wife last year. Um, And so we're going to be including the audio to that uh, in the first forward. So if you're interested in learning more about Job's wife, some of the tradition uh, behind this character, uh, look for that in the newsletter on Wednesday. With that out of the way, though, let's talk about Satan, you guys. Um, Let's see. I'm excited for this one. Satan uh, is a figure from the Bible who's really captured our cultural imagination. I got some pictures up here um, just of like kind of pop culture stuff with the devil or with Satan involved. Um, Everything from the exorcist to Lucifer. You got John Lovitz from Saturday Night Live dressed as Satan, which I think is my favorite out of that bunch. Um... (laughs) But our culture, especially popular culture, is fascinated with Satan. He's the king of the underworld, the prince of darkness, the joker to God's Batman, right? That's, that's Satan. But for as much as pop culture fixates on Satan, uh, the Bible, interestingly, tells us very little about this character, about this figure. There's very little information about Satan in the Bible. Who is he exactly? Where did he come from? Uh, The book that gives us the clearest depiction is probably Job, but the Satan we meet in Job is almost nothing like the Satan we know from pop culture. The story takes place in the heavenly throne room. Um, Often when the Bible depicts heaven, it's usually pictured as a court, like like a king's throne room, where God is seated as king. And, um, The opening scenes of Job depict God holding court, meeting with the heavenly council. God calls together the heavenly beings. Uh, Some Bibles translate this uh, as angels, which is not the word for it. Uh, Some say divine beings, which is a little bit closer. Um, These are powerful beings that reside in heaven and work for God. Uh, They're kind of like God's cabinet if that makes sense. Um, you, know, you know like when the President of the United States uh, meets with their cabinet? That's basically the idea of what's happening in the opening chapters of Job. You've got God's version of that. Uh, God's meeting with the Secretary of State, uh, Defense, Housing and Urban Development. They're all gathered there presenting themselves before God. And among this heavenly council, it's a little more directly stated in the Hebrew, but one of the members of God's cabinet is the Satan. Now, super important to note, I say the Satan because Satan is not a name. It's a title. Hasatan in Hebrew is a title. It's a title that gets used for uh, multiple different characters in the Bible. 
Uh, We meet a number of Satan figures, and here in Job, it's being applied to a member of the heavenly council. Hasatan literally means the accuser. That's what Hasatan means, the accuser. Um, You can also translate this term prosecuting attorney, which I think is kind of funny. No offense to any lawyers who are in the room today. I swear I'm not making like a statement on the criminal justice system or anything. It's just Hebrew. It's just Hebrew, you guys. Uh, (laughs) Prosecutors are Satan. Um, But the accuser, the prosecutor, uh, the person who tests you, examines you, tries to trip you up, that's Hasatan. Uh, When we imagine the Satan in Job, it's not a little red guy with goat feet and horns. Um, He's not called the king of the underworld or the prince of darkness. He's not even referred to in this passage as a fallen angel. When we imagine Hasatan, we should be envisioning a heavenly prosecutor. It's like the attorney general or maybe the the head of the FBI is sort of the idea here. Um, The Satan wanders the earth testing God's people, examining them, afflicting them, prosecuting a case against them to see if they're really righteous, to see if they're legit. And this particular Satan, this accuser, casts his eyes on Job. This Job guy seems pretty righteous, but he's rich. I bet if I take away all his stuff, if I strip him down, if I erode his wealth, destroy his possessions, if I kill his children, afflict him with boils, I bet I'll curse God to his face. Then we'll see what Job is really made of. That's the Satan. There's a really uh, terrifying sense in which the Satan uh, captures a darkness that's within all of us. Uh, that part of us that's cynical and jaded, skeptical of other people. Uh, we see someone who looks good on the outside, and right away, it's like, that can't be real. Come on, they're phonies, they're fake. He's hiding something, she's hiding something. They've gotten really good at putting forward a certain face. Anytime you root for someone else to lose, when you see their success as your failure, That's satanic, literally. I see this in myself, uh, personally. Anytime a big-name leader in the church or in government fails, uh, these public failings, um, whether it's a sex scandal or uh, someone stealing money or something like that, when some rich, powerful person is exposed as a hypocrite, my first instinct is to be like, of course. Of course they're a fraud. Of course they're phony. I knew it. This is especially true uh, whenever it happens to someone I don't like or disagree with. You know, some evangelical megachurch pastor gets exposed as a fraud. I knew it the whole time. That's the Satan in my own heart. As much as Job's depiction of Satan is different from what we might expect, I think it's even more scary. 
because this isn't some monster. It's not some like otherworldly threat. The Satan is an impulse that any one of us can fall into. Jesus calls Peter Satan at one point, if you know that story, right? This is the idea. This guy is a member of the heavenly council. He's part of God's cabinet, and he's going to destroy an innocent human being. That's the Satan. Now, you can also see how the little bits and pieces we do get, the the snippets of Satan-like figures in the Bible um, are very easily stitched together in what we today recognize as Satan. Think of the serpent in the garden who tests Adam and Eve, right? Uh, Go back and read Genesis 3 sometimes. Uh, Sometimes the serpent is never called Satan. They're never referred to as Satan, but it's the exact same impulse. It's that Satan role. Let's test this man and this woman. See if they're really bearers of God's image. Did God really tell you you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? There's also the Satan who tests Jesus uh, in the wilderness when he hasn't eaten for 40 days. If you really are the Son of God, just turn these rocks into bread and eat. Let's see your power. Let's see if you're the real deal or not. And then there's the Satan and Job. These might all be the same figure. These could be different demonic entities. We don't exactly know. The Bible doesn't come right out and tell us, but it's that same dark, dangerous, evil impulse that any one of us could fall into if we're not careful. Don't be Satan, you guys. How's that for life application? (laughs) Don't be Satan. Seriously, though, don't do it. With all that background uh, covered, let's reread our passage and uh, see if this hits any differently. Uh, Job 2, beginning in verse 1. One day the heavenly beings, the divine council, came to present themselves before the Lord. And the Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to the Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. This is the part where I want to like tap God on the shoulder and be like, hey, stop bragging about Job to Satan, right? I digress. Uh, Verse four. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin. All that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he is in your power. Just spare his life. Oh boy, what do we do with this one? This is why last week um, we spent so much time on the importance of reading Job as an allegory. Uh, I've seen way too many people uh, read this book and reject it outright because they get all hung up on the plot. Like, why would God do something like this? If you read Job as more of an allegory, if this is a, a case study of suffering, 
where we gain wisdom for how to respond, how to live in the midst of suffering, it comes to life. Uh, it, it absolutely changes everything. We highlighted two questions last week um, that are the heart of the book of Job. Remember, Job never tells us why we suffer. We don't get an explanation for suffering in this book. What we do get are two questions that are being wrestled with. Is God just and is righteousness worth it? Is God just and is righteousness worth it? When I see this exchange between God and Satan in these opening two chapters, my mind goes right to the justice question, right? Question one. How could a just God do this? But notice the, the, the case that Satan is trying here is not about God's justice. It's about Job's righteousness. We're in question two territory. Is Job really righteous? Is Job as pure and blameless on the inside as he appears on the outside? That's what Satan wants to know. What motivates Job's righteousness? Does he follow God because he genuinely loves and trusts God? Or is Job only in it for the reward? Is he only righteous because God has blessed him? Remember, Job is introduced, chapter one, as like the most blameless person in the earth, uh, the, the most righteous person who's ever lived. God holds up Job twice before God's cabinet, and he's like, have you met this guy? Have you seen my servant Job? I can't find anything wrong with him. If Satan can prove that Job's righteousness is phony, if he can show that Job will turn on God when the chips are down, what hope do any of us have? Think about it. If Job's righteousness doesn't hold up, what hope do we have? This is the bet Satan makes that Job won't persist. And God takes that bet because God knows Job's righteousness is legit. Job has nothing to prove to God. Nothing. That's where we get this story wrong a lot. A lot of people read this as a story where God is testing Job, but that's backwards. God is not testing Job. God is not the prosecutor. Who's the prosecutor? Satan is the prosecutor. Satan is testing Job. Job has nothing to prove to God. God already knows his heart. God knows Job's love for him is legit. God bets the farm on Job because God knows Job is going to win. It's a really messed up story if it actually happened. But as an allegory, the implications of this book are fascinating. This isn't a story about human beings have something to prove to God. You don't have something to prove to God. God knows your heart. This is a story about God proving something to the devil. God is gonna show Satan once and for all that righteousness is real, that God's relationship with us is legit. God bets it all on Job, and spoiler alert, God wins the bet. That brings us back, though, to this question. Is righteousness worth it? Job only suffers because he's righteous. How backwards is that? 
Like, how messed up is that? I don't think there's any way God takes this bet if it was me, right? Like, if, if Satan was like, I bet if you let me torture Dan, he'll curse you to your face. Like, God, God's not taking that bet. God, God would be like, I, I know Dan. I know, just leave him alone. <laughs> it's, it's, you know. Job only suffers because he's righteous. If righteousness doesn't lead to reward, if following God doesn't mean we're going to have protection in this life, why be righteous? Why are we in this Jesus thing? Are we only in it for a reward? That's what got a lot of us into church, right? The promise of a reward, usually in the afterlife, and the threat of hell if we don't follow God. There's also that. Um, But so much of evangelism comes down to if you say this prayer, if you sign on the dotted line, uh, if you confess Jesus as your Savior and get baptized, you get a reward. And the ironic part is, I believe that's true. I really do believe that God is bringing heaven to earth and that one day we are going to get to reign with God forever. But if that is all your faith rests on, if that's it, it sets you up to expect reward. And I've seen too many people get baptized, say the prayer, become Christians, only to get tripped up as soon as trouble comes. When life is still just as messy, and we're struggling with the exact same stuff we struggled with before. I thought following Jesus meant I didn't have to worry about this anymore. I've seen a number of people fall away from the faith entirely because it was presented as the answer to all their problems. Jesus does the opposite, by the way. Jesus was a terrible evangelist, you guys. Um, Half the time when people try to follow Jesus, he tries to talk them out of it, right? Um, There's the rich young ruler. Go sell everything you have. Then you can follow me. There's also that guy um, who is um, arguing with his brother over his father's estate. Let the dead bury their dead. My kingdom's about more than that. Jesus warns people that if you follow him, you're going to be hated. You'll lose friends. Uh, your own family might turn against you. Um, he tells people over and over again to count the, cro- the cost, take up their cross. That is terrible marketing, you guys. <laughs> Awful marketing. If you follow Jesus, the Satan is going to come for you. You will face more trials, more temptation. You're going to have to make harder decisions because you follow Jesus, because you're in this Jesus thing. We don't do it for a reward. We do it because we believe in what Jesus came to do. We do it because we believe in this God of love who laid down his own life for his enemies, for us. It's an incredibly compelling message. But following that God might mean that you have to do the same thing. You might have to lay it all down. It's it's like Job says in chapter 1. Naked I have come from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. It's not about a reward. That's not the point. It's about our faith, our trust in this God who loves us. But that brings us to question one. Is God just? Should we trust this God? How would a just God deal with Satan? 
I'll tell you my answer. I want God to crush them. I want God to destroy Satan. I want the scene where God rips Satan limb from limb, rains down sulfur, throws him in a lake of fire. That's the kind of God I want. That's the God I've been trained to want. Every fairy tale, every movie, every TV show, Saturday morning cartoons since I was a kid have been telling me that the good guy beats up the bad guy. That's the plot, that's the whole thing. I grew up idolizing comic book heroes like the Punisher, a guy who hunts down and murders bad guys. Or Thor, right? Another favorite of mine, the god of thunder who whacks the bad guys with a hammer. That's how justice works in our world, right? It's retributive, skin for skin. Eye for an eye. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That's satanic. Again, literally. It's exactly what Satan says to God. Skin for skin. Flesh for flesh. And look where it's gotten us as a culture. Um, A couple weeks ago, after the school shootings down in Tennessee, um, I read this article. It was by this... um, right-wing commentator, where he actually said that school shootings are just a price we have to pay to live in a free society. If we want to be safe, if we want the right to protect ourselves, if we want justice, if we want good to crush evil, we're going to have to live with mass shootings. We're going to have to sacrifice some of our kids. I'm telling you right now, that is not justice. That's satanic. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun is satanic. That's worldly justice. That's not God's justice. God doesn't crush Satan in Job. I know this sounds crazy, but what if instead of applying our worldly view of justice to God, What if we let Job's depiction of God actually inform our view of justice? God doesn't destroy the Satan. God doesn't pull out a bigger gun. God engages with him. God wrestles with him. God talks to Satan. There's a a respectful dialogue. Could you imagine if our leaders in Washington talk to each other with the same level of grace and respect that God shows to the Satan. You'd think if anyone had reason to crush an enemy, it would be God with the Satan. And yet God talks to him, God engages with him. God places limitations on Satan. Says you can go this far and no further, but there's not a hint of dominance or manipulation. The God who could easily crush Satan doesn't. Instead, God engages with him. God talks to the evil one. And God trusts his relationship with us to prevail over him. You can try to trip up my followers. You can mess with them. You can hurt them. Try a case against them. You might even get a few of them to fall. 
But I've warned them about you, Satan. I told them from the get-go that this wasn't going to be easy, that they should count the cost. See, no matter what you do to them, no matter what tricks you pull, whatever you try, I'm going to be right there beside them. When you afflict them, I'm going to suffer with them. My strength will uphold them. My righteousness will cover them. No matter what happens, no matter what you do, even if they fail, my love for them is stronger than you. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for standing beside us, for covering us with your righteousness, and for proving time and time again that your love triumphs over evil. Deliver us from the evil one, Lord. Protect us in the times of trial. Help us to conform to your justice and to check the satanic impulses of our own hearts. We ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.